Today we start a new series. I'm excited about the series. Uh, and before we do, I just want to make sure we start this off right. So would you pray with me? God, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for the word you give us. We're grateful for the encouragement that you give. And God, as we unpack the truth that you have given us and revealed to us today, God, let it be your words, let it be your wisdom, let it be your insight that we hear from, not mine. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hypothetical situation. Hypothetical um, just think outside the realm of this has ever happened to you. Have you ever found yourself in the grocery store pushing your cart down the aisle, you get to the end of the aisle, you make a turn, and you're starting to round the corner to go into the next aisle, but then to a distance, you see someone you recognize who you really don't wanna to talk to today. How do you respond? You just put the smile on your face, I'm gonna be bright and shining and I'm gonna go visit, or you do like so many people do to me and just detour like they didn't notice and go on about your business to the next row, I'll come back and get potato chips later, or maybe the Lord was telling me I don't even need those potato chips. Happens to me all the time. I see you, Dave, I saw you out there doing that, okay, whatever. Um, hypothetical, uh, just, you know, we avoid people that we don't wanna interact with or maybe talk to. Um, anybody ever sat down with their daughter, their fifth grade daughter, trying to figure out new math together, and as you're working through the problems, you quickly realize you're no longer qualified to do math. Uh, so you change the subject, right? Like, hey, how was your lunch today? Did you have some vegetables? Did you eat what you're supposed to? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing for practice tomorrow? What time, your pra what time do I need to pick you up? Oh, look at the time, it's bedtime, Dad, it's 7.30. I don't care, it's bedtime. Let's avoid this conversation about uh, new math. No one, okay, just me, perfect. Here's what I know. Uh, we are experts at avoiding things. We, we are professional when it comes to avoiding things that are hard. We're really good at avoiding things that we don't understand. We're incredible at avoiding things we don't wanna deal with. We'll, we'll keep picking on dads today. Dads, this is not what we'll talk about on Saturday, but this is worth investing. As dads, when we don't understand the way we feel, as men, when we don't understand why we feel a certain way, we love to open up and share about it, don't we? No, we don't. We don't wanna talk about it, we don't wanna think about it, we don't wanna deal with it, we'll just put it to the side because we are experts at avoiding. And for so many parts of our life, if I don't understand it, if I can't explain it, if I don't understand how it connects or relates to me, if I don't view it as unimportant, I try not to think about it, I avoid talking about it, and I refuse to deal with it. Now, put a period there, we're gonna come back and visit that in just a second. So Jesus takes on flesh, he comes down to earth, and every single person we read about that Jesus encountered, their life in some significance or in multiple ways was forever changed. Sick people were healed, blind people could see, paralyzed people could move. Jesus taught us and modeled for us compassion to everyone. He revealed to people, this is why you hurt or where you hurt, and here's how you find freedom from that. He taught the incredible truth of the God of the universe with incredible clarity and authority. He loved people. He forgave people. He fed thousands of people with a fish fillet kid's meal and a couple biscuits. He overloaded fishermen's net just by saying, cast your net on this side of the boat. He told storms to be still and the wind and the rain would stop and under the power and authority of his voice, he told dead people to come back to life. To the people who intersected with and met with and followed Jesus in his day, in their day, was the greatest experience of their life. And then one day, John chapter 16, Jesus is sitting with a group of people and he's having a conversation. And what had to have been to them listening in this moment some of the most devastating news they've probably ever heard. As great as my time with you has been, this is what he says, verse seven. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Can you imagine 
The best thing that's ever happened to me is that I crossed paths with Jesus. I was sick and I'm healed. I couldn't walk, now I can move. All these incredible things that he's taught as I sat on the side of a hill and listened. And he tells me now that as good as that was, I'm going to leave you. There had to have been some internal dialogue going on. Like, what do you mean? You can't leave us. Look what you've done. But Jesus didn't stop to field any questions. He continues on. Verse eight, he says, he's talking about the advocate. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. I can see the conversation like, uh, Jesus, that sounds important, but why can't you just do that? Why do you have to leave? It sounds like you need to be present for those things to happen. Jesus continues on, verse 13, he says, and when the spirit of truth comes, same person as the advocate, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And we chew on that and chew on that and chew on that because if we're just speaking frank with each other today, most people, even non-believers, Jesus, we get. Jesus, look like a man, talk like a man, walk like a man. We, we get Jesus. Immaculate conception, harder to wrap my head around, but I think I can deal with that. God, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth and everything in this universe. God had to come from somewhere. I, I really can't articulate where God came from, but I, I can wrap my head around the concept of in order to create something, the creator has to exist outside of the parameters of that which he created. So for God to exist outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter, to be able to create all those things, okay, I can get that. But Jesus says, but then the spirit of truth, and we don't really connect well to a spirit. Like we, 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 we kind of struggle to understand what is a Spirit, like if you grew up and you were terrorized by scary movies as a young person like I was, and you hear words like ghost, it kind of causes your, your thoughts to go a different vein. It causes us to go a different direction. And for many people, if we've never heard of or never understood who the Holy Spirit is, what's our normal response? To avoid things we don't understand. To avoid things we don't know how to figure out or how to relate to. To, to avoid things that maybe don't make sense where I am today. And like many people growing up, if you grew up in a, in a Christian world or you grew up in a, in a, in a uh, maybe a, an education process, we'll call it a Christian education process, if yours was anything like mine, the most you heard someone talk about the Holy Spirit kind of put people into two camps under one umbrella. And the umbrella was, if you talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, you're weird. Because most of the time, right, they fit into two camps, right? If we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, then we fit into the camp of they wear a lot of makeup. Or if they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, they don't wear no makeup at all. Or they fit into the, hey, we love to play us the tambourine, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Come on, come on. Nobody? Okay. Or there is no expression whatsoever when we talk about the Holy Spirit. I am filled with the joy of the Lord. But like it's, my context for most of my life in the Holy Spirit was people that talk about the Holy Spirit are weird. So can we just all, deep breath, today's not going to be weird. Today, we're simply gonna look at what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Now, as you unpack the Holy Spirit, the Bible actually gives a lot of context, and Jewish culture gave a lot, a lot of context for names. Names were important. But names weren't just a title. In fact, names were given to help understand someone or to describe someone. So as we read through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is given several names, not to create confusion, but to give us a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. As you read through the New Testament, you'll, you'll see names like the Comforter, the Helper, the Counselor, the advocate, our guide, our intercessor, the spirit of truth, the restrainer, the spirit of the Lord, the great teacher, the witness, the convictor of sin, and the spirit of life. Oftentimes, scripture would symbolize the Holy Spirit with fire or with 
wind. One time even scripture would compare the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the Lord descending down upon Jesus like a, like a dove. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. Whoa, 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 Pastor. You said ghost again and my mind just went a different direction. Okay, let's, let's just be real. If you are the devil and Jesus has just defeated you and promised the entire world, if you receive me, you can have the Spirit of the Lord within you. The devil knows I can't stop that. I can't contain that. I can't defend that. I can't do anything to, stop, to, to prevent that from happening. What is my best defense? You know what it is. What can I do to create confusion around the Holy Spirit? And for 2,000 years, the greatest scheme of the enemy to the believer is to create confusion around the Holy Spirit. Why? Because people avoid things they don't understand. And we avoid things that are confusing. And we avoid things that we can't connect to or relate to. And we avoid things that we're not sure about. For 2,000 years, the enemy's done an incredible job of just mixing all this together, polarizing people, separating this out into different terms and phrases and concepts of who the Holy Spirit is. If we could just understand the simplicity of the promise that Jesus has made, it's best for you. He didn't say it's gonna be confusing for you. He didn't say it's gonna be a step back for you. He said it's best for you and I for 2,000 years. In fact, if you, if you know the story, back in Acts chapter 19, Paul, one of the early church starters in the world, one of the early evangelists in the world, Paul was going all over the Middle East, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. And when he did, he would often have follow-up questions about how people came to know Christ and what they knew about him. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is walking near Ephesus or toward Ephesus along the coastline, and he comes across some believers. Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied, no, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. This is new information. And this is where most people live. Well, you know, I, I know we talk about like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I know, you know we reference that. Listen, if the enemy can keep people from recognizing the Holy Spirit, if the enemy can keep people from knowing the Holy Spirit, if the enemy can keep people from, from understanding the voice of the Holy Spirit, he's gonna deflect us from living out the will that God has for us. Understanding <clears throat> Jesus said it's best that I go is a powerful statement because if I go, when I go, I will send a helper, an advocate, a guide. Let me give some context. Jesus said, I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And then as he leaves, he says, I will give you all this authority as well. But you and I can never know that authority if we're not living in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say, you can do great things. He said, you'll do greater things after I go, but none of that is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Some context, the greatest gift that God has for you and I is himself. That's not a prideful statement. That's not an arrogant statement. Think about it. The greatest thing that God has to offer us is him, his presence, his joy, his peace, his love, his grace, his wisdom, his guidance, his forgiveness. So when Jesus says, it's best for you that I go, this was an incredible promise because he's gonna send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, to dwell in followers of Christ and you know when he had to have said that, that the devil shuddered. I, I, I got nothing. I've got no power that can touch that. I thought if I could just eliminate Jesus and take him down, but now we're gonna go from one singular deity walking on the earth to a deity that spreads all over every corner of the earth and reaches every person who's looking. You knew the devil had to put a plan in place quick. How do we create confusion? So let's just clarify some of the confusion. 
The Holy Spirit is not a fire. He's not a wind. He's not a ghost. He's not a dove. Though sometimes he was symbolized by those things, don't minimize him to those symbols. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of our God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not third because he was least in value or importance, but third because he was the third to be revealed to us. And in him and with him and through him come all of the wisdom, all of the creativity, all of the glory, all of the power, and all of the authority of God the Father in the Holy Spirit. All the goodness, all the greatness of our Heavenly Father is available to us, is offered to us, has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, this might be a new concept to you, but the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. I wanna make sure that we catch this. He's the third person in the Trinity. Whenever Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit, he described him as a person. He said, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict, and he will guide you into all truth. Why is this so important? Because if we don't know the Holy Spirit as a person, the third person in the Trinity, we'll never have a personal relationship with him. I can't have a personal relationship with wind. You might have heard Christian folks say, we say it often, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And the only way we can have a personal relationship with God is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Under the old covenant that we read about in the Old Testament of the Bible, God's promise between himself and his people, in this promise, only a few people had access to have a personal relationship with God. So for most people, in order to have a personal relationship, it had to go through another person, another leader, another king, or another priest. The presence of God was most commonly found inside the walls of the temple. But when Jesus came, he both fulfills the old covenant and begins a new covenant, a new promise between God and his people. Jesus came and made a way for us to the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of the Lord comes to make way for us to have a personal relationship with God. You can't have a personal relationship with a fire. You can't have a personal relationship with a force. The Star Wars movies are not a type and shadow of the kingdom of God. Oh, the force is strong with that one. I can't tell you how many times I preach a sermon and someone says, the force is strong with you. I ain't Luke Skywalker. I'm Luke Smith. There's a difference. (laughs) You can't have a personal relationship with a force. You can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, our heavenly father. So often God worked things out by design in in groups or components of three, like matter is solid, liquid, or gas. Uh, God, our God is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. One God, three components. God created us to be in three components, our body, our soul, and our spirit. Listen, humans are not slightly more advanced mammals. We haven't evolved and left some of the other mammals behind. Humans are specifically designed by God. Turn back, page one of the scriptures, Genesis chapter one and verse 26, God says this, then God said, let us, He didn't say me, he says us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Listen, God was not talking about me and the angels. I don't know if you've read through the descriptions of what the Bible describes an angel like, but it's not this pretty white being with angel's wings and a halo. If you read through the scriptures, angels was creepy looking. Like nearly every encounter we read about a human and an angel started with, do not be afraid. Why? Because they were terrifying. We don't look like angels. God said, let us create human beings to look like us. We're made in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And our soul is also made up of three parts, our mind, our will, 
and our emotions. We think with our mind, and we act with our will, and we feel with our emotions. And this is what I believe Jesus wants us to understand. I will send him to you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And this is what he wants to do. He wants, us to, help, he wants to help us think like God and do what God does and feel what God feels. The Holy Spirit has come to you that you would think like God thinks, that you would do what God does, and that you would feel what God feels. When Jesus gives this talk, it's best for you that I go, this actually wasn't the first time he'd had the conversation. He's actually had this conversation a couple times, kind of setting up this big reveal moment of, hey, I'm leaving, but it's better for you that I go. John chapter 14, if we back up just a little bit, Jesus has a similar conversation starting in verse 15. He's talking to his followers. He says this, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him. But you will know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. He's preparing them for the talk of it's best for you that I leave. And he says, I will send you an advocate. I will send you a helper. I will send you a comforter. And if we jump down to verse 26, he continues in the same vein. He says, but when the father sends the advocate, pause, this is not a contradiction in scripture. Remember, our God is one God, three compartments, three persons. When I, or when the father sends, they're both doing the same thing. When I send the advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, this word in my translation translates to the word advocate. And in many other translations, I recognize that yours might say helper, yours might say comforter, yours might say intercessor or assistant. It comes from a Greek word, parakletos, which really kind of sums up all those things. It gives us a full understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, when I grew up, I grew up on a translation that said comforter, calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. Jesus says, it's good that I go, it's best that I go because I'll send you the comforter. And what a blessing that is. Like if you've been through grief, and you know the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. And if you've had to make tough decisions, you know the comfort that only Holy Spirit can bring. When life gets hard, it's good to know that we have the comforter to come with us. Now, years ago, Katie and I got married. Um, I was a school teacher. She was just getting started in the insurance business. We didn't have a lot of money. So when we first got married, our first apartment was all hand-me-downs. I mean, hand-me-downs like table, chairs, recliner, hand-me-down mattress, which I still a little bit when I think about, like, okay. So we saved up and one of the first major purchases we bought, we saved up some Christmas money, we saved up some other money. And our first major purchase was a bedroom suit. And it was nice. We still have it. We've had it for, what are we, like 22 years now? I shouldn't ask this question for my wife. We saved up, we got it, we took it home, I put it together, I got all sweaty putting it together, I was excited about it. I, I go, I go get a shower, when I come back out of the shower, she's, she's got this, and I didn't know what it was, I've never had one before, this fancy blanket, that's what I thought it was. She's got this fancy blanket spread out all over the bed. Now, I mean, this is back in the day when we were pinching dollars so hard that we only turned the heat on on Tuesdays. Like it was, so I'm looking at this thing like, I'm gonna be warm tonight. I got this new bed, I got this beautiful new fancy blanket, like this is gonna be amazing, I can't wait. So I go back to prepare for bed, keep it PG. I'm just going to brush my teeth. And then I come back out from brushing my teeth and, and this is the image I see. Katie's over in the corner of the room and she's, she's, taking the, she's taking the fancy blanket off. And I'm like, pardon? 
we spend a lot of money on Fancy Blanket. Why, why are we not using Fancy Blanket? And she's like, first of all, she just gives me this look. Like, at the time, I didn't know the look, but now I know the look. It's the look of like, why are you asking such a stupid question? <laughs> now, I, I see it about every day. So she gives me this look. Why are you asking this stupid question? And I'm like, why are you putting Fancy Blanket away? And she says, it's a comforter. And I reach over, and it is comfortable. It is warm. It's thick. And it is no longer on my bed. And I'm like, why, why, why are we? Why? And she's like, because... The comforter is just for looks. It's not for use. This is no joke. This comforter is 10 years old. I've never slept on this comforter. And that opened the door to a whole lot of conversations about things that I did not know existed, that are in my house and I cannot use. There are candles in my house that I am not allowed to burn. There are towels in my house that if you come over, you can use, but if I want to use them or my kids want to use them, you can't. There are plates in our house taking up shelves Plural, shelves, there are plates in our house that no one hath ever ate off of because they looketh so pretty. Every time we put together a series, it's always through prayer and seeking the Lord. And as I was thinking about this series a few months ago, this is the thought that God really put on my heart, that there are way too many followers of Jesus who have access to a beautiful comforter and instead they just set it to the side. It's for looks, it's not for use. Jesus said, it's best for you that I go because I will send you the comforter and he is for everyday use. He is for every moment use. He is to walk with you in every waking moment and to give you sleep and peace in your sleeping moments, to empower you, to enable you, to transform you, to live the life of following after Jesus, that you might have the mind of God and the will of God and the emotions of our God. So today, as we simplify this concept, it's best for you that I go because then I can send the comforter. I wanna to try to keep this as simplified as we can. The Holy Spirit is not a spooky ghost. He's not a fire, he's not a wind. He's not distant, he's not hard to relate to. He is our personal relationship with the God of the universe. If you're taking notes, he is my advocate. Advocate is a powerful word. Advocate means he's my helper. He's here for my aid. He aids and fights for me. He comes to help me. Now, this, this personal example happens to me all the time. Um, because I carry the title pastor, people think, hey, uh, I'll go ask the pastor to pray for me. And oftentimes, people give me no context whatsoever and just say, pastor, will you pray for me? Now, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but do you know how difficult it is when someone says, pastor, can you pray for me with an expectation you're gonna know exactly what to pray for? Like, it's difficult. And when I was young in ministry, like, I'd guess, like, God, pray for ugh, rest. You look sleepy. You need some rest? <laughs> and I've since then learned the discipline of just getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit go to work. Because oftentimes I will say absolutely with no concept of who I'm praying for or why I'm praying for them. And I'll put my hand on his shoulder and I'll start to pray. And as I open my mouth, the Holy Spirit takes over and they hear exactly what they need to hear. And they're encouraged with the words that they need to be encouraged by. And God uses me to get me out of the way to allow somebody to be encouraged by his truth. But this also happens to me all the time. People think, hey, you're a pastor. You know everything in the Bible. I'm sure you've memorized all 66 books. Yeah. And they'll say, Pastor, uh, I got a question for you. And they'll ask me the question just right out of the blue. And I can't tell you the number of times that someone's asked a question and I've had no concept of how I was gonna answer it until I started to open my mouth. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me of a passage that really just de deals directly with this concept. L listen, it is not because I've got a great memory. When Katie sends me to the grocery store, she usually gives me no more than three things to shop for. I'll come back with five, but only one was on the list. Like, it's not me, but God uses us through his Holy Spirit 
to do his will. He is my advocate. He is an aid. He is a helper. Sometimes it's incredible just to sit back and watch God work. So Jesus continues, John chapter 16. We read verse eight already. We'll read it again. And when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now listen, he breaks it down real simple and there's more to come and over the next couple weeks we'll talk about the other things the Holy Spirit does but we're starting right here with the simplicity of the beginning. He will convict us of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then the very next verse, we haven't read this yet, the very next verse Jesus explains. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Let me just clarify this. It is not my job nor your job to convict someone else. Christians, sometimes we're really good at trying to convict someone else. If I can give a sermon that makes you feel so bad, you'll repent. If I can phrase it in some way that seems so shameful, you'll change your direction. It is not my job to convict you. It is my job to present the truth to you and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. What happens when people try to convict you? You feel shame real quick. You can tell that it wasn't from the Holy Spirit because if you feel convicted from what someone said to you, but that conviction feels just like, man, I am a terrible person. God must hate me. That that is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts someone, you know what he's really doing? He's shining a light where light needs to be shined. He's revealing to us, here's where something should be different. When the Holy Spirit convicts, he's revealing. This is what I love. He's revealing that we have sin and it's because of our sin that we need a savior. And we understand the Holy Spirit is trying to show us you need a savior. It's a great thing. Conviction is a gift. If it wasn't for conviction, I would, no one would realize our need for a savior. If it wasn't for conviction from the Holy Spirit, no one would realize our dependence on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 and 3 says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If I just say it to say it, there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not real. It's not truthful. It's not from my entire being that God calls for. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin to see our need for Jesus, which is so important because what's the popular opinion for admittance into heaven? Just be a good person. Man, I hope I live a good enough life that I get to heaven one day. I hope I live a little bit better life and do more good things than bad things. I hope I'm a little bit better than most people. And if I can do that, then I think I'll probably get in. No, no, listen, the qualification for heaven, for the presence of the Lord, is perfection. And I can't achieve perfection in any aspect of my life. Neither can you. We need Jesus. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin, not because he wants us to feel terrible about our life, but to recognize the need we have to be saved in a Savior. He will convict us of God's righteousness. Verse 10, Jesus says this, Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Righteousness, simplified, is right standing with God. Righteousness is just being in right standing with God. Because of sin, we've been disqualified to be in right standing with God, but God's greatest gift to us is himself. So he sends his son to die for us, to pay for us, to, be, to redeem us, that we could once again be restored to the Father. Oh, but pastor, I'm a sinner. Pastor, I've messed up so bad, I've gone too far. God will never receive me. God will never take me back. God will never listen to me. God would never want me. Listen, pause. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit wants to convict you today. He wants to shine some light on an untruth that if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are in right standing with the God of the universe. Stop disqualifying yourself from the very thing that Jesus died for. When the Holy Spirit looks to convict us, what he's really trying to do is convince us. And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit needs to convince somebody today 
that God loved you so much that he sent his son, his perfect son, to stand in your place and to make things right so that you can be in right standing with him. The Holy Spirit wants to convince us that if we are in Christ, we are now in right standing with the Father. He continues, verse 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, we're gonna go real deep right here for a second. Stay with me. In fact, later this summer, we're actually gonna do a whole series where we dig way more into this. But when Jesus says the current ruler, the current ruler, when Jesus is saying this, live time, is Satan. Back clear back to the beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, they gave up the authority that God had had them, given them all over the earth. If you turn back to John chapter 12 with me, John chapter 12, Jesus explains this with a little bit more detail. He says this in verse 31, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out and when I am lifted up from the earth and I will draw everyone to myself. Now, context, when I will be lifted up from the earth, if you know the story, when Jesus is crucified and he's lifted up from the earth on the cross, and gives his life as a sacrifice. And it's better for you that I go because when I go, then I will send the advocate. When Jesus was on the earth, people needed to be in proximity to Jesus to learn from him. They needed to be in proximity to Jesus to be healed from him, to be set free by him. They needed to be in proximity to hear from him and to know him. But if we tie this all together, when Jesus would lift it up and he gave his life as a sacrifice and he sends back to us the helper, the advocate, the comforter, you no longer had to be in proximity because the Holy Spirit goes to every corner of the earth. You no longer had to put eyes on Jesus, but the Holy Spirit would come. God would come through Jesus to us all at the same time. And he will convict the world of their sin. I need a savior. I can never arrive at the perfection that God has set in place. I need to be saved. I need a savior. He will convince the world of the right standing with God. And he will convict them of the judgment. And when we read this, we read this in present tense because this is how Jesus said it. But when we read this, we ought to read this in past tense because with his death and his resurrection, he dethroned the ruler of the world. He took dominion back on planet earth. Not that God was ever not God and things happened without his will or his understanding, but through sin, the devil reigned. Through sin, the devil became the ruler of the earth. But Jesus said, but that time has ended, not today, Satan. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of the judgment that the previous ruler has already been judged, already been found guilty, and already been sentenced. The devil has been defeated. That's a great place for an amen, church. Listen, you need to know this. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to convince you today that if you are in Christ, the devil no longer has power over you. The devil no longer has any authority over you. He has been defeated. Now, defeated does not mean he's dormant. The devil will be very active in your life and in my life trying to detour us away from following God. But I'll say it like this. Even though the devil is very active in your life, he can only be productive when you give him permission. And as believers, we have all the authority we need to no longer give the devil permission to be active and effective in our lives. I don't want you to miss this. When we get confused about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, for so many Christians, we just set him to the side and we miss out on the freedom that Jesus died to provide. So many of us, we we read this passage. It is best for you that I go away because the Holy Spirit is gonna come and when he comes, 
he will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and then judgment. We don't put it into context, so we read it like this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna convict you of your sin, you ignorant sinner, because you ain't living right, and you done made God mad at you. I mean, think about it. When a Christian tries to convict someone else, another Christian or someone outside of the faith, when they try to convict someone else, how is it received? You're stupid. You know what you should have done, but you didn't do it. And now you make God mad, God's gonna get you. And we call it conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is not what the Holy Spirit comes for. He came to convince us. Look, all of humanity fell under the curse in a broken world. And because of that, all of us missed the mark. We've sinned, we've fallen short of God's glory. But God loves you so much. He knew the greatest thing for you was to be with him. So he sacrificed his perfect son that you could find him, that you could be restored to him. You, you may have been taught when you were growing up, you can do anything you put your mind to, but I don't care how hard you try. You can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. Nobody can be perfect. In fact, for me, I've realized the, the more mature I get in my faith, every day is a realization of I need Jesus more today than I thought I needed him yesterday because I can't get this right without him. I can't live out this faith without him. I can't follow him without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. I need Jesus. I need to be reminded and convicted that I can't do it without him. And then once you accept Jesus as Savior, what are you still holding on to? Whom the Son sets free, Scripture teaches us, is free indeed. Once you are in right standing with the God of the universe, the devil no longer has any authority in your life. He no longer has any power in your life. Sure, you can be tempted, but in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we are overcomers of this temptation and this sin. He's come to convince you today. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you better than anybody else. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than anybody else except me. He makes me better than me because I couldn't do anything that God calls me to. I couldn't follow him. I couldn't live this life and I would never be in right standing with the Father. Jesus says, it's best for you that I go because I will send you an advocate, a helper, a comforter, and the Holy Spirit will come. And when I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he comes with all of the wisdom and all of the creativity and all of the glory and all of the power and all of the authority of the God of the universe now lives on the inside of me and you. What a gift. Let me pray with you. God, we are grateful. That through our imperfections, through our sin, through our mistakes, and every time we miss the mark, you are so good. And your love and your grace knows no bounds that you would allow Jesus to live a perfect life and to be a sacrifice for me. And that you would send your spirit to come and to dwell in every believer. God, let us not be a people that set the comforter to the side for looks only, but who welcome him, who listen to him, who cherish him every day of our life. We thank you for that gift. It's in Jesus' name, amen.